can stay your hand or say to you, what have you done? You are sovereign over every instance on earth and in the heavens. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us tonight and that you would help us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would open up our hearts, Lord God, that you would soften our hearts to love this reality of your sovereignty. Lord God, that you would illuminate our minds to understand it. Lord, that you would allow our eyes to gaze upon its beauty. I pray that you would do all these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Jonathan Edwards refers to the sovereignty of God as that noble doctrine. Uh, He later says that, I have often sensed not only a conviction, but a delightful conviction. The doctrine of God's sovereignty has very often appeared to me an exceeding pleasant, bright, and sweet doctrine to me. R.C. Sproul states on the same uh, topic that the sovereignty of God is God's favorite doctrine. And he suggests that if you were God, it would be your favorite doctrine too. But what is the sovereignty of God? What do we mean by the sovereignty of God? The significance of knowing this truth of the sovereignty of God cannot be overstated. John Piper, speaking about the seriousness of this doctrine, says that the sovereignty of God is the continental divide of theology. If you picture this with me, it means like one drop on one side will go into tributaries that will trickle into a river that will end in a sea of man-centered ministry, man-centered theology, and man-centered worship. But one drop on the other side would end in an ocean of God-glorifying worship, God-centered ministry, God-given wisdom, and an indescribable joy in reveling in this truth and an unmatched freedom in understanding the reality of this truth. So the stakes cannot be any higher. And we must not approach God's sovereignty casually, but we must be vigilant and diligent in its pursuit. Who better out of anyone to hear about God's sovereignty than God himself? So if you would direct your attention to Isaiah 46, Isaiah chapter 46, and this is verses 8 through 11. And this is what the word of God says. Remember this. And stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, and a man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Here in Isaiah 46, we have one of the most emphatic declarations of God's sovereignty over all things and in all things. God here defines his sovereignty of saying, I am God. For to be sovereign, you must be God, and you are not God unless you are all sovereign. 
A.W. Pink, in his book, The Sovereignty of God, defines God's sovereignty as God does what he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants, always as he wants. The sovereignty of God is very simply this. God is God. When we look at Isaiah 46 and we hear words like, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. We see that God himself is identifying him as supreme over all things. When we see his counsel shall stand and he will accomplish all his purpose, we see that God is authoritative over all things. So what is the sovereignty of God? The sovereignty of God is supreme and authoritative. Colossians 1. He is, the inv- he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is above all things, and in him all things hold together. He created all things. They were created through his power and for his purposes. And he sustains them by holding them all together by his sovereign will and appointment. And he has all authority to do so. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Matthew 28, 18. And we see that God is supreme over everything, including weather, whether it is rain, snow, sleet, hail. Not one drop of rain lands in a wrong spot. Snow does not rise one inch over God's appointed height. He is supreme and authoritative over all world powers, whether it's Iran or Iraq or Russia, or threats from South Korea. He is sovereign over all creatures. I get to have a lot of time driving on the causeway now. My oldest daughter, Savannah, she loves to uh, watch the pelicans fly by, which is pretty cool, quite frightening, actually, because they get very close to your vehicle. But just pondering the thought that you know, each one of these pelicans flying over, God is going to provide their food for them. He's aware of them. So he's sovereign and authoritative over each pelican, over Lake Pontchartrain. (laughs) This is a mind-blowing thought. The frog that's looking for a fly in Brazil, he's going to provide that fly for him, and he tells him where to leap. God's sovereign control is supreme and authoritative over every disease, every cancer cell, and every debilitating thing that you go through, all viruses and bacteria causing white blood cells to multiply and fight infection. He is supreme over all of that. He's supreme over all disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, monsoons, earthquakes. The unponderable thought that no tornado touches down anywhere apart from God's design and no hurricane goes off one inch of God's intended course. And he causes all these things that are devastating for his purposes and his plans. And he's sovereign over all of them. He's sovereign over all decisions. It is no surprise who comes into power. It is no surprise what you choose to do and your free will. He is sovereign over all of that. 
for he does all that he wills. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He has supreme authority over all things. From the top of Mount Everest, 29,000 feet up to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, 36,000 feet down in the Mariana Trench of the Pacific Rim, God reigns supreme. All authority. He is supreme over even the most minute detail. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. It's kind of embarrassing, but I'm going to proceed. I was raised primarily by my mom, and some of the effects of that were I was raised by watching a lot of musicals. <laughs> and um, one of the musicals that I mostly didn't enjoy was Guys and Dolls. Um, just, just go with me. So in Guys and Dolls, the whole thing is, you have this guy, Frank Sinatra, uh, Nathan Detroit, and he runs an underground crap game, okay? And he tries to make a bet to get the money to provide that location from Mr. Marlon Brando. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so you see this whole betting to do this, this crap game. Betting is the whole point of this. And, and I'm just thinking about why they're underground rolling those dice. God knows every end of those dice. <laughs> Even though it's in a movie. But when you think about Las Vegas, right? Every roll of the craps God has ordained. This also means that there is not one flip of a coin in an NFL game that God has not already predetermined. Right? Tails never fails? Well, I don't know. What has God ordained? <laughs> it's amazing. God has authority over the wind and sea to say, be still, and it does. He has authority over death. He raises the dead with one word when he says, in your, in your blood I said to you, live. Or with two words, Lazarus, come forth and they are made alive. He has authority over all governments, and praise God for that. As Abraham Kuyper so eloquently noted, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! I made it, and I reign over it. I'm supreme over it. He created it, and He has all authority over it. Only he has the right and only he has the ability to do so. Not only is the sovereignty of God supreme and authoritative, the sovereignty of God is perfect. If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then his virtues and his attributes never change. So the God who determines all things does so by his perfect wisdom and knowledge. Romans 11, 33-36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of our God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has made the mind of the Lord? <laughs> Let me just ponder that for a second. Who has made the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? There's no board meeting going on in heaven. Like, man, Lord, you really screwed up that affair. <laughs> this doesn't happen. Who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Listen, his wisdom is flawless and his counsel is superb. 
and he works out his sovereign decrees perfectly. There is not one thing that God has decreed that has failed, and there has, been, there has not been one thing that God has decreed that has had the slightest hiccup. So although your life might feel like a disaster, and everything's just going wrong, or whatever it is, just know that there is not one thought or action that his perfect wisdom, knowledge, and sovereignty has not allowed to take place. And it is for our good. God's sovereignty is eternal, it is constant, and it is active. Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. There is never a point when God was not supremely ruling and reigning and in control. So think about it. Before he created time and space and the earth and everything in creation, he was sovereignly ruling and reigning. And there will never be a time in the future where God will abdicate his sovereign rule and reign. It is eternal. It is constant. His sovereign control is constant. What this means is like, you know, God's not like in a hockey game, right? Where they can just change it up and rotate. So it's not like he's sitting back, created everything, created the game. And he's just like, ah, oh, Stenson was not supposed to score. Change it up. Got to get in. Fix this. It doesn't happen. Okay? He's constantly sovereign. He's not, he's not affected by anything that happens. So when Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are our best options and we're all freaking out, he's not. <laughs> he's not phased by it. He's, a, he's, he's sovereignly ruling over it, right? So when we have threats from North Korea, he's not over there biting his nails, okay? He is sovereign over it. It is a constant thing. And his Sovereign rule and reign is not up for debate or election. You will not find his name on a ballot next to someone else. He only has that title. The election that he's involved in is when he chooses those whom he would redeem. So God's sovereignty is eternal, it is constant, and is active. So don't, don't think, I know that some of the teaching out there is, is God creates all things and he just kind of sits back and just like watches it like a spectator. It's not how God functions in his sovereignty. Okay? When we read through the Bible, if you, if you pick up this precious book and you read through it, you're not going to see a, a passive God who is not active in his creation in it and through it. Right? He created all things and he's walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. Right? And then the fall happens. Does he not act? Does he not say, hey, Abraham, look, bro. I want you to go over here. This is my home. Don't care. I want you to go over there. Noah, build an ark. I'm going to flood the whole earth. Okay? Raised up Pharaoh for the purposes of showing his glory. Oh, and, and by the way, he sent his son to crush his son on the cross for us. Does that sound like a passive, unactive God to you? He is constantly active in his creation, working his purposes and his sovereign decrees. God's sovereignty and God's sovereign control is definitive. We see here in our original text, Isaiah 46, 
Isaiah 46, verse 10b says, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. I have spoken it, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Similarly, in Isaiah 14, 27, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? No one can. When God decrees something to be, it will be, and he will make sure that it does be. <laughs> we see here in God's, God's sovereignty two fundamental doctrines that work in God's sovereignty. It is God's decrees and God's providence. So what are God's decrees? Westminster Shorter Catechism, number seven. What are the decrees of God? Answer. The decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby for His own glory He hath ordained whatsoever comes to pass. So God eternally purposes or plans according to His perfect will and for his glory, everything that is going to take place. In eternity past, God in his infinite wisdom and purpose said, this is what is going to take place in every area, in your life, in your life, and in the government, and in every single type of weather condition that happens, every disaster, he was sovereign and decreed. God's providence. John Frame in his book, Systematic Theology, defines God's providence as his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. So God decrees something in eternity past and he works it in his providence, in his providential action to make sure that they do come to pass. He does this through governing and preserving and concurring with his creation. Scottish minister Thomas Chalmers, who lived in the 1800s, uh, wrote of this, that the God who appoints the end orders and presides over the whole series of means. So the sovereign Lord who decrees will be active in providing the means to accomplish it and nothing can thwart it. So when we see these pictures of God's sovereignty, that it's it's supreme and it's authoritative. That it's definitive. Nothing can thwart God's plans from taking place. What is our response to this? What is our response to the sovereignty of God? I think God makes it clear here in our original text in Isaiah 46. And it says, remember this. And again, recall it to mind. The statement begs our attention. It's like you need, you need a mental refocusing of who I am and what my capabilities are. It is necessary to recall it to mind. For when we do that, we are aware of who God is, what His promises are, what His power is, and it puts it into right context. Remember who created all things. Right? Israelites needed this. Remember who led you out of Egypt by my mighty hand. You need to be 
remembering that I am sovereign over all things. So how do we respond to this? We remember that He is Lord. He is God over all. We are also called to submit to His sovereign will. Romans 9. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So, then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills. You say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another vessel for dishonorable use? I love in this passage, of, you know, Paul doesn't give an answer that we're kind of hoping for. He just puts us in our place, Right? He just says, who are you, O man? Right? Which just reminds me of God's response to Job. <laughs> when Job's like, man, what's going on? Just like a man, and I will question you. Where were you, Job, when I founded the earth? Right? And he just goes and lays it out. He's like, see that raven over there, Job? I'm going to provide its meal. Can you do that? You're sovereign over all things. You have the knowledge to create all things and for all things to function as they do. And this is what, what Paul is reminding us, that in light of a sovereignty, we need to be aware of we are not God. <laughs> we do not have His capabilities. We do not have His wisdom or insight on all things, all possibilities. He does. So who are we to question God? He does according to His will and all that He pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in the deeps. Submit to His will in our lives is not an easy thing to do. We feel like we have the right over certain areas in our life and we don't take um, submitting to authority well, right? But we are to submit to God's not only sovereign will but His authority in our lives. And so, although we might not know specifically man, what, what job am I supposed to pursue or where am I supposed to go to college? He has made abundantly clear in His Word what He's called us to do as believers, how we are to live and to conduct ourselves. So we must submit to His authority over our lives. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. We're, sum we're also to submit to God's providence in putting people of authority that he's placed over us and submitting to them. That means parents. God does not make mistakes at all. And the parents that you have, however you got them, are yours for a reason. God has purposed them to be over you for a reason. 
according to His perfect will. And so, although you might not be fond of it at times, and maybe it's a difficult situation, God is producing in us His purpose. And He promises that it is for our good. And regardless of that, it is for His glory. And that should be motivation enough to submit to it. So, be mindful of this, that when relating to your parents and submitting to their authority, if you have a problem with them, then perhaps you have a problem with God's sovereign will. He, he does it in categories like our future, right? Lord, where am I to go to school? What would you have me do? Who am I to pursue? Are we asking these kinds of things to the God who has ordained these things before time? Or are we just going to pursue them as we please? And I know that there's, there's most definitely this element of, of planning and making plans. And God has also given us these desires in us to produce his will. But I, I just want us to be cognizant that it's, it's so important to seek his will on these things. Lord, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go next? This, this aspect of submitting to his will has an element of pursuing his will for your life, right? Jesus himself, in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, he says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying to the Lord, Lord, what would you will for my life? I want to hear that and I want to respond to that. I want, I, want, I, want, I want your purposes to be fulfilled in my life and not just my own selfish aim. And so part of this submitting is a difficult task of, rel of relinquishing control. Um, submitting to his sovereignty at times cannot, is, is not easy to do. And I would say that the, 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 the biggest objective to the sovereignty of God not only is lack of knowledge, right? We know that if the Spirit has not illuminated or regenerated lives, then it's foolishness to those. But for us that do know, say the, one of the biggest objectives across the board is our unwillingness to relinquish control, right? We as humans don't want to relinquish control. We're not fond of submitting to authority, and we don't want to relinquish control. Um, we as humans, especially as Americans, not fond of this idea. Uh, we want to be con in control of every facet of our lives, right? So our possessions, our relationships, our future. We don't want God to touch these categories or have something to say about these categories, but guess what? He does have something to say about these categories. And so we have to be willing to relinquish control to the one who has sovereign control over all. And we need to be acutely aware of the reality of the amazing grace that is God's sovereignty. Right? This is not bondage. This is freedom. And so, you know, when you just think about what well, you just told me, I've got to submit to authority and i got to relinquish control. It doesn't sound too much like freedom. <laughs> Sounds a little bit more like bondage. It, but, it, but it's not. Don't, don't, don't be uninformed, brothers and sisters. This is freedom. When you are able to relinquish control to the God who is sovereign over all things, you have freedom. 
No fretting, no anxiousness over these things, for you know that God has ordained them and he will bring about his purposes. It's not going into captivity. It is just enjoying the freedom of his adoption. He's adopting us. Here's the reality in, in, in Proverbs 16 about us relinquishing control, and this should kind of sober us if we think we have control. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble, even Pharaoh to harden his heart for the day of trouble. The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord has preordained purpose for your life. You need to relinquish control of difficult categories in your life. Categories like maybe the season of life that you're going through right now could be extremely difficult. And you and your awesome self-sufficiency, I just believe that you can do this on your own. Like, don't worry, I got this. I'm I'm just going to take care of this issue that I'm having. You don't want to relinquish control to God. Maybe, maybe, Maybe life at home is not enjoyable. You've got frustrations in your relationships. Or maybe you are longing for a relationship. (laughs) Maybe you want a relationship really, really bad. (laughs) So to those who long to be in a relationship, um, and this has become perhaps an idol in your life, um, I just want to remind you of this truth. For those who he has ordained to be married, before time, God ordained who you would marry. So that's really freeing news, isn't it? Right? (laughs) Try to fret, worried about who likes me. Is is something going to happen? We try in our own efforts to, to make something happen. Relationships are always such a hot topic. And for some reason, we're kind of bent on doing whatever we can to make that happen. But I, I just want us to be able to rest in the fact that God is sovereign over that issue that you don't want to relinquish control over. And he speaks about that. Okay? So, if, if, if I do things the way I want to do, and if I don't relinquish control... I'm not married to that beautiful woman in the back and I don't have three beautiful girls and I'm not in this city, right? Yeah, you. (laughs) See, if if I had it my way, I would have been screwed up years and years ago pursuing what was not God's will for my life, right? (laughs) And and just thinking about it and and no disrespect to anyone involved, that would be devastating, Right? But when you relinquish control and you submit to him and you trust him that in his timing it's going to happen, when it happens, it is a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. He works it out perfectly. It will save you a, 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 a long list of hurt and, and distraction from preparing for that day when he does bring that to you. So I would say, 
trust in God and allow Him to lead you. Allow God to affect your, your brain and don't think too much on emotions. Boys, I was wondering if I was going to share this or not, but I mentioned to the boys, if, if you guys are really desperate to be in a relationship, I'm not saying that anyone here is, but if you're, if you're desperate to be in a relationship, then open your Bible. <clears throat> because here, here's something that someone told me when I was growing up and I really appreciated it. It's like, if you cannot learn to love and be led by God, you have no business trying to love and lead a girl, right? So think about these things when you are um, dealing with uh, the desire to want to be in a relationship. <clears throat> I just pray that God would give you the grace to relinquish this control. <clears throat> we need to relinquish control to the one who ordained every step and numbered every day of our lives before the foundation of the world. This is not bonded, it's freedom. Listen, and I, and I hope you, you hear this right here. You're a slave to something. Of, of that, the Bible is clear. So the question is, slave, whom are you going to serve? Right? Are you going to serve God's purposes? Or are you going to serve your own passions that are raging war inside of you? Who will you serve? So, when, when, when you even think about that, that aspect, we're, we're a slave, right? You're bought with a price for those that are in him. And you're a slave regardless. That puts it into context. Like, I'm serving someone. Might as well be the sovereign Lord of the universe who has promised good for me and not the way of destruction and death. So we respond by relinquishing control to our sovereign God and, and we also do so by trusting in His sovereign will and that His sovereign will is good for us. Isaiah 46, 8 says, Stand firm. The ESV study Bible says, He is calling us to a strong trust in His divine power and in His just decrees and in His providential work. So when it says here, remember this and stand firm. Recall to mind who I am and in that knowledge, stand firm and trust in my divine decrees and my providential work that I will bring about what is best for you and what I have deemed right. The fact that God is truly sovereign is truly good news. Why is this good news? I hope you've seen why it's good news already, but it is good news because of passages like Romans 8.28. For I know that He works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. This is one of the most glorious promises that inform our thinking and behavior uh, regarding trials and, and sufferings, right? For we know, indicating we, we already know something about God, that He, who? God, works. It's a continuing, active work of God all things, not just some things, but all things for the good. Not the bad, not the indifferent, but for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. This is a promise. This isn't like, hey man, like if you, if you like obey me, you'll probably be good. You'll be all right. No, this is, this is a promise. It is for your good. 
the God of the universe, how gracious enough that not only would he redeem us, but that he would lavish his mercy and grace on us and give us good things. This is good news because of Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Why does he know them? Because he ordained them before time. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare or peace and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope in a future. A hope, as Romans 5 says, that will not put us to shame. In a future, not just on earth, but for all eternity. He has that in mind. So we try to, we try to put everything we have right here on earth, right? We just like store it up. Like, yeah, dude, you're going to build my future. Can't relinquish control because I'm building this. It's going to be awesome, right? Because I'm probably going to drop dead at like 69, but I've built this and it's all good. No, he has good for us on earth and for all eternity. What amazing grace. And this is good news because whether you believe it or not, there is unmatched freedom in knowing and trusting the omnipotent and omniscient God who is control. Who, omniscient God, that's just bad. God is in inif- uh, infinite and eternal control. There is unmatched freedom in knowing and trusting that the omnipotent, omniscient God is in infinite and eternal control. Amen? Amen. Despite my fumble. Amen. <laughs> so I hope, I hope you realize that this is good news. And not only is it good news that we are desperate for this news, right? We are desperate for God to be totally sovereign over all things. If, if God is not sovereign, then everything is out of whack, right? The planets in your lives are just out of line. If, if God is not sovereign, then his restraining power over sin and atrocities is taken away. If he's not sovereign, we don't have Ephesians 1.11, right? If God is not sovereign, we do not have Ephesians 1.11 in him, we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to his purpose, the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. If he's not sovereign, we do not have this inheritance that he offers us. If he is not sovereign, then death is not defeated and sin reigns over us. The grave holds us. There's no hope of redemption, but God is sovereign. God had a plan and God was mighty to do so. He had all power to make this happen. So God being sovereign is good news and we are desperate for him to be sovereign. God's not sovereign. I am living my own life for myself. And I hope you guys have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You've experienced that walking with him has been nothing short of superb pleasure. We need him to be sovereign over every area of our life so that we can experience the joy of living in his purposes and that we can experience the promises of his goodness towards us that he has ordained before time. And, and this, this subject of the sovereignty of God, it should, it should create in us responses. First of which I think is awe. If you just ponder the sovereignty of God and all of its implications, it should do nothing but fill you with awe and reverence for this mighty God. What 
kind of power that he can create things by the power of his word and not only do that, but he can sustain them and he can preserve them for his purpose. The knowledge that it takes to create a life. Say, hey, this is going to happen, right? Blood's going to flow and it's going to go through the atrium and the ventricle, you know, bicuspid valve and shoot up. He's able to create white blood cells to fight off infection. He's able to create plants and work with photosynthesis so they can feed. It's amazing knowledge that our God has. So all, when we think about this majestic God that we serve, who's sovereign over all, and in so doing that all, it should produce humility. Andrew Murray, in his book, Humility, defines humility as a right estimation of oneself. And one does not gain a right estimation of oneself unless one has a right understanding of God's sovereignty. It creates humility, realizing that who are we, O man, to answer back to God? When you pursue and gaze upon the sovereignty of God, the secondary effect should always be humility. It can be nothing but And if it does not, then you're probably just dead spiritually (laughs) or just asleep. It should produce in us trust. Trust that He is sovereign and trust that His sovereign will is right and perfect and good. Going back to our dear friend Mr. Cowper from before, Mr. Cowper became good friends after his conversion with a man by the name of John Newton. And John Newton saw the dealings that Cowper went through and he thought that, hey man, you could be really used in ministering to people going through the same thing. And so he said, hey, will you join me in a ministry? So Cowper moved to Olney, England to serve with John Newton and there they began to collaborate on hymns. John Newton went on to write 208 hymns, one most notable, Amazing Grace. Mr. Cowper wrote 68. And in 1779, Cowper wrote to him, God works in mysterious ways. And this is what it says. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds ye so much dread. Are big with mercy and shall break, blessing on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. That's why we need appropriate vision of it, biblically informed vision of his sovereignty. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. So when we trust that he is who he says he is and that he is in sovereign control over all things 
and that that is a good thing, then the final thing that it produces in us is thankfulness and joy-filled worship. And when you see this truth and when you experience the joy of living in it, you too can echo with the Apostle John when he says in Revelations, Hallelujah, for the God omnipotent reigns. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan, for taking us deep. You know, we are entrusting to you. I know that this is not the typical subject matter uh, that a lot of youth groups are giving attention to. Um, but I said this last month, that there is, there is nothing more precious than the knowledge of God, and there's never a moment in your life where you can say, I've heard enough about him. All right, that's enough. I've learned enough. I've come far enough. You don't need to take me any further. I just appreciate Jordan taking us deeper and deeper and deeper. And just I pray that God awakens in us understanding and spiritual sensitivity and those things that he described at the end, awe and humility and worship. And the amazing thing about the sovereignty of God is he does those things in us as well. He produces in us, by his grace, even the kind of response that we should have to his sovereignty. And so I'm grateful that he does that in us and just pray and he does that more and more. But I, I want us to consider a couple things. I thought that Jordan gave us some helpful categories, but it's just easy to move on and let that exist as a nice idea that you caught part of and it's not affecting in any way how you feel right now and how you're going to face tomorrow. And the only thing that does that in us is, is consciously considering the conditions of life and of our hearts and making a decision, God, I'm going to transfer my trust to you. All right, so if you're in here and you're 12 or you're 16 or you're a parent, why don't you just bow your head and you consider with God for a moment in something in, in one of two categories, and maybe something comes to mind for both or maybe just one of the two. God wants to minister to you concerning this. What in life right now feels out of control? What's unexpected? What feels like it's falling apart? It feels like, is anybody in charge? Does anybody care? Is anybody paying attention here? It's taking directions that are different than you hoped. So what for you right now feels out of control?
And then the second thing I want you to consider is where in life are you fighting for control? Maybe that does show up with your parents. There's just arguments about what you're able to make a decision about, what kinds of things you have permission to do, who you're allowed to see or be with, what kinds of parameters they put in place in your life. Or maybe none of that surfaces in a visible way. But you know in your heart you're, you are in a fight. Maybe you're contending with God. You just don't agree. Don't agree with where you are right now. You feel uncertain about his plan for your future. You know, Jordan talked about those categories of our possessions, our relationships, and our future. Those are places that we fight for control. I'm going to pray, and I just want you to, to, to seize this moment, to present yourself before God, and you tell him, you transfer your trust to him. You do that as an act of faith. Maybe right now, there's not this overwhelming sense of surrender, and I pray that there is. But listen, you, you, you take those first steps of turning to him and even just acknowledging, God, I, I'm not sure I'm seeing this or I'm feeling this. I'm not sure I'm, I'm ready to unclench my fist from what I'm grabbing after. But I, but I know that everything Jordan said tonight is right. And I want that. I want to feel the benefit of this truth. Wherever you at, let's let's turn to God. God convince us. Your word says such unimaginably big things about who you are, about what you are managing from the end to the beginning to the minutia of our lives. What about your intentions to work everything in a way that at the end of time we will say it was worth it. It was a good decision. I'm so glad God did not ask for my opinion in this moment. God, could we borrow a little bit of the clarity that we will have on that day for right now? Would it show up as trust? God, we repent of ways that we have fought and we have striven to be in charge and to claim things that you've just not given us permission to have. It's not under our authority. It doesn't belong to us. God, help us to see ways that that's created conflict and friendships and in our family. Lord, if any of us are just in a place of just feeling discouraged, feeling alone, confused, life is out of control, it seems to us. God, come to us and comfort us with your power. What we see, you are really big.
and you leverage every sovereign ability that you have to care for us. Lord, thank you that that's who you are to us. We do not deserve this. Lord, if, if our future were just the results of our actions and our decisions, we would be in the ditch and we would be in hell. But God, thank you that by your sovereignty, you step in and you reroute things and you give us a good future. That's not just this week, <laughs> but all eternity. Lord, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.